You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. In the time before Christ, the Jews went through a time of exile. While in exile, they would build temples scattered away from their homeland. During that time, a city named Ephesus was created by the Greeks and taken by the Romans. Roman rulers would connect the world with Rhodes. Paul was able to capitalize on both. Scattered Jewish temples connected by the Roman Empire Rhodes which led Paul to Ephesus, where he pastored for a while, left and then wrote them the letter, titled Ephesians. The lie is that things will always be the way they are. Broken people, broken churches. The truth is that you can become a new man with a new heart and a new mind. The people who follow Christ can be one body, one church, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father to all. Ephesians. Well, good morning, Redemption. How are we doing? Good. Oh, yeah. How are we doing this morning? Great. Well, I'm doing good, too, in the Lord. If you are visiting or if it's your first time here, we are really glad that you're here today and you came on a great day to experience the truth about God. And if you've been regular attending and coming Sunday in and Sunday out, it's really my hope that you are growing deeper in your relationship with the Lord every single time you show up. And that as you are doing that, that the Lord might be stirring up your affections, right? That you would consider this maybe as a safe place to call home. And then I love, this is my favorite part. And if you are a glad covenant member, right? Um, We just got done a couple weeks ago starting our first covenant membership. And so if you're a glad covenant member, I hope that you are starting already to experience the beautiful fruit, the amazing fruit of what happens when you get to belong to a people and that people gets to belong to you. It's a beautiful thing. And so we've been having what's been, what we've been calling a family meeting every time we start service. And so let's talk a little bit about our family culture. We're not going to do the whole thing today. And if you, I would encourage you, if this is your first time, maybe go online and look at our whole kind of family culture conversation. But let's talk about that briefly about how we do church when specifically it comes to our sermon time. And so um, oftentimes what you may think is, hey, when you start your sermon, why do you always say good morning and how are you doing? And so listen, a loving family is always going to care to inquire of one another. That's what a family does. And so I'm inviting you in that moment to participate and to say, like, how are you doing? It's my way of loving you to explore what atmosphere you walked in here with this morning. Like, listen, seven, it's been six days since we've been together and a lot happens in six days. People are getting promotions and jobs. People are having conflicts in their marriages. People's kids are getting awards in school. Um, So many things happen. How is your internal atmosphere? Before we interact with the living word of God, how are you doing? Another question then is, why do you then encourage me to respond back in that moment? Like, I, I haven't really been to a church where we're supposed to participate in the middle of a sermon and to talk. Well, listen, a healthy family 
always exchanges communication, right? In my home, with my wife, with my children, I want it to be an atmosphere where we have healthy exchanges of communication. So there's nothing weird about that. And then finally, why do, when I'm saying that, it's, there's almost like I'm encouraging to say that you're doing good, right? It's like, what are you going to say? How are you doing? Terrible. That's not really popular to say out loud. So why are you encouraging me to say that I'm doing good or that I'm doing awesome when I may be having a terrible week? Are you asking me to fake it? No, I'm never asking you to fake anything. But what I am asking you to do is to invite Christ into your circumstances. Are you listening? So that he can transform it. It is okay to not always be okay. It's on the front page of our website, right? It says it is okay not to be okay. God meets us where we are. And we as a church, we want to meet you there too. We have places for that. We have city groups for that. And we're going to have men's den night for that. Women, you guys are going to go on your beautiful retreat. And there may be time for you to share about struggles. But Sunday morning is the one time a week where we get to come together as the people of God, under the word of God. And we get to declare against no matter how hard our week has been, no matter what Satan has done, that in Christ we are good. Amen. Amen. So throughout this sermon, I'm going to sometimes say amen and give you an opportunity to respond with me. And that's your opportunity to join in with your unity, with your glad heart to say, man, what you're saying is true. Let's look at this verse really quickly in Psalm chapter 23, verse six. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And what I love about this scripture is it says that surely goodness, not, not, not pain. There's a time for that. There's not pain, not misery. Surely goodness shall follow me sometimes on some days, all of my days. So even on the worst day, God promises that goodness will follow and we are to believe upon that promise. And so if you have your Bibles and I really hope that you're bringing a, a physical Bible with you to church, it's important. I want you to open them up to Ephesians chapter one, and we're going to be looking in Ephesians in just a little bit. We are going to be magnifying God in our series, which is titled our story into God's story. Moving from our story of brokenness um, into God's story of wholeness. And this is going to be all about discovering who we are in light of Christ. And this is going to be our aim. No matter who you are, no matter if you are a theologian or you went to seminary or this is the first time you've ever been to church or it's the first time you've opened up this book of Ephesians. Our aim, my aim, is that you would have an encounter in this book of Ephesians like you've never had before. And the way that we're going to work towards that aim is going through what I'm calling a seven part mini foundational series. Okay. We're working through a foundational series that's going to leap us into the main series in just a couple weeks. And so let's have some review time. We've had a couple of different Sundays with baptism going on and covenant membership ceremony. So let's make sure we're all on the same page. So in part one titled foundations and proclamations, we set the stage for what was going on historically when the book of Ephesians was written, like what was going on in the church of Ephesus and at that time. And what does that mean for how we can understand 
the book of Ephesians, right? We want to understand it in context. We learn what Paul was experiencing under light chain house arrest. And so if you were here, that, that means a lot, right? This wasn't just any kind of prison. This wasn't maximum security prison. This was a light chain house arrest. And what are the implications for how that plays out in this epistle to the Ephesians? And then we took the first step in learning who we are. Right. And so we looked at how basically we could take the book of Ephesians and to break it into three segments. OK, segment one, which is going to cover from chapter one to about chapter three, is all about knowing who we are. So if you ever want to know who am I in Christ, what is my identity? Chapter one through three is going to cover that. Right. And then segment two is going to take us from about chapter four to about chapter six, nine, verse nine ish. And then we learn now that I know who I am. Now that I know what my identity is, what is God calling me to do with my life? How many want to know what God is calling them to do with their life? Just me. I want to know. How many want to know what God's calling them to with their life? There we go. Yeah, participate. We're family, right? And then segment three is from chapter six, nine-ish to about chapter, the same chapter six to about verse 20. And then it's, okay, now that I know who I am, now that I know what I'm called to do, how do I endure? How do I last? And how, I, how do I defend that as a Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christian? Okay, and then in part two, titled Prayers, Peace, and an Invitation, we focused on really just verses one and two. We saw how much was packed in just those two verses. We looked at the character of Paul and the radical implications of what that means. This was a murderous man that God redeemed to literally write most of the New Testament. And that's good news for us as sinners being redeemed by God, right? We literally spent a whole hour on two verses, so that, that should tell you what you should have in store for you today. Um, and then finally, we learned what does it mean to receive the peace of God? What is this peace of God that Paul is inviting us into? And we, we learned a lot more. All right, part three titled, Turning on the Switch to Every Blessing in Christ. We learned what, um, what is the most important thing that Paul's trying to communicate? In these first couple of verses, which is God does the work. Repeat after me. God does the work. Listen, that is the foundation of this whole series. God does the work, not us. He predestines us. We don't predestine anything. He lavishes blessings on us. We screw up everything. He chose us. We don't choose him first. God chooses us first. We learn that the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places are eternal treasures of being back in a right relationship with God. We and then we looked at Paul inviting us in saying, I want you to know how to navigate life out of brokenness into wholeness. In Christ, I want you to show you how to be a business owner or a confident mother or a father. How do I do that in Christ? We've been setting that stage. Or how do I how how do I grow as a young man or a young woman well in Christ? How do I grow older into my retirement years and not just spend my time going on vacations and collecting seashells in Christ? How do I trust God in my misery in a way that glorifies Him in? Christ. These are the things we've been setting ourselves up for. And that brings us to today as we continue this seven part series, which is part four titled the fullness of God's blessings. Part a <laughs> chosen and adopted. And really it's all about seeing the father, God, the father's love on supreme display for every chosen member of his family. It's about understanding what this gift 
of adoption is all about. And so right now, Pastor Jack's going to come up and we're going to read the word of God uninterrupted from chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. He's going to read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I am hoping that this passage is becoming really, really familiar as we continue to recite that week in and week out. All right, let's, let's get going. We have so much to cover. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. God of the universe, something incredibly profound occurs when light invades the darkness. No matter how dominant or pervasive that darkness may be, Lord, even the smallest candle of a light can pierce through the darkness like a Swiss army knife because the light is simply superior and sharper and brighter. Now, Jehovah, you are the light and because, you're, uh, because of your love, you have made yourself known to us. Therefore, I pray that for those of us who know of you, you would grant us now the opportunity to begin to develop a deeper relationship with you personally. And I pray that for those who consider you utterly foreign to them this morning, that they would have the light switch of their faith flipped on and activated this morning. Only your Holy Spirit can do that. Yet for all of us here, Lord, help us to understand how gigantic you are and how gigantic the things you've done for us really is. Help us to understand that these gigantic realities should hold real weight in our hearts. I pray that today's truth would be a source of revelation and healing and a sort of confidence booster for your people today. And finally, I pray against every lie and against every attack that the enemy seeks to distract our attention into mindless temporary things, Lord. Don't let that occur. Have your way this morning. Help us to be attentive to your word. Thank you for using me and my brokenness. I'm available to be yours. Be big for us today, God. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. 
Amen. You know, I remember attending a youth conference when I was just beginning as a pastor at the tender age of 19, and it was called Acquire the Fire. And so the man that was putting it on, his name was Ron Luce, and um, the, the purpose of this conference all around America was to ignite a passion for God amongst teenagers in America. And I, I don't know if he's still putting it on, but if you have a teenager, it, it's really, really done great. And so that was the slogan, was the anthem, to ignite a passion in teenagers all across America. So Ron has opened up this conference and he begins speaking his testimony about how the Lord took him out of darkness and destruction and re redeemed his life. And while he's explaining his story um, to the audience, he begins to talk about how he moved from just kind of generically knowing God and generically worshiping God to specifically learning how to have a relationship with God and then how to specifically worship God the Father God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, specifically. And I remember thinking that moment as just a 19-year-old you know, youth pastor, like, yeah, I, I get that. I know how to worship, but am I really having a vibrant relationship with God in a way where I'm uniquely worshiping Him for the unique attributes that He brings into my life? You see, I have spent so much of my Christian faith, honestly, just saying it doesn't really matter how I worship God. God knows my heart. And as long as he knows my heart, it doesn't matter how I worship him. And you see, that's just not true. At least it's only half true. You see, when we care about God enough to know him specifically, that's going to alter the way that we interact with them. Think about it this way. I can say with all my heart that I love my wife. Right? I can say, I love my wife. I can say it, I can say it with, with bravado. I can say it with my heart. But it's not until I start to look at her uniquely and know her innermost desires that true love and the evidence of that begins to show. When I know that she prefers Jamocha ice cream at Baskin Robbins specifically and not other ice cream shops, that means that I'm getting to know her specifically when I know that she likes the light to be on in the bathroom with the door halfway, yeah, I'm saying with the door halfway closed to set the right lighting for her to feel safe and comfortable to go to bed. That's me knowing her intimately, right? Flipping the lights off or closing the door is not me knowing what my wife needs. And I think it's similar with our relationship with the God of the universe. When we as the people of God get to know him specifically, it signifies a depth in our relationship, right? And when we don't know God specifically and deeply, it signifies a lack of depth. So as a side bonus, as we get ready to talk about everything today, I want you to see just how united the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in how they specify their love and how they specify certain blessings. These heavenly blessings are not generic. God the Father blesses you specifically. The Son blesses you specifically. The Holy Spirit blesses you specifically. So over the next couple of weeks, this is going to be a great opportunity. If you've ever struggled to be like, man, how do I worship God uniquely different than Jesus and Jesus uniquely different than the Holy Spirit? This is going to be a really cool time for you to be able to worship and honor the Lord more specifically. And so let's look at Ephesians chapter one, verses three through six specifically, because that is our main text today. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every, not some, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us 
in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, so key, <laughs> the foundation of Christianity. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, there is so much weight packed in these four verses. And as promised, we're going to be looking at the seven identifiable blessings of the triune God. And I'm going to encourage you to hold fast to these seven identifiable blessings over the next couple of weeks. And now you may be thinking, because I never want to skip steps here at Redemption City Church, we're going to go, we're going to be student learners. We're going to learn the word of God well. So whenever I say triune God, right, what does that mean? The tri triune God means God, the father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, and how they uniquely work together. The triune God, the Godhead, all three together, right? So our aim is going to be threefold as we get ready to look at this first blessing. To first understand more of who we are in God. Number two, to specify our love and our worship and our adoration to God the Father specifically. And then finally, I want you to see how God works out these blessings in your life. All right, you guys ready to do this? All right, here we go. Blessing number one from God our Father. It's for your fill-in. We are chosen by God before the foundation of the world. This is in the first part of the, what we just read in verse 3. We are chosen by God before the foundation of the world. Now, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10 through 10 talks about this really faithfully. So we're going to look at that right now. This is what Peter says. But you are a chosen race. I love that. Chosen. It's not an accident. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his own possession. Are you seeing all of God's choice in this? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out. You don't call anything out. He called you out of darkness. We were once in darkness. You know your story. God called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once, once means there was a time when this was not true. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received God's mercy, but now you have received. Do you see this? This is absolutely stunning. Like, are, I don't know about you, but... I know myself and I know my weaknesses and I know my sin nature. You know who you are and you know your weaknesses and you know your sin nature. Now pay attention at this once, this once status that's being exclusively talked about. This was once just for the people of Israel, not us as Gentiles. I want you to know that. At one time or once, as the text says, Peter is saying that we were not the people of God. But we now are the people of God. This is critical. He's saying at once we were without these kingdom privileges. We were without these kingdom blessings. But now we have obtained God's mercy through Christ's sacrifice. Keep tracking with me. Remember, these Gentile believers in Ephesus... They were being treated, remember we talked about that, as second-class citizens. So they were feeling really, really low, and they were lacking confidence. And these Gauls that Paul was in light-chain house arrest around these prisoners 
were struggling with their confidence and they had low self-esteem. And honestly, we struggle and we feel low and we have low self-esteem. But Paul is having none of that nonsense. He's having none of it. And so instead he's saying loudly and he's proclaiming from light chain of house arrest in his own suffering, you have been radically accepted by God. Brandon, you have been radically accepted by God. Everybody in here has been radically accepted into God's kingdom. Listen, Lena, Paul is saying by the authority of Christ Jesus that this chosen status is available to every faithful believer, not just the Jews. That means it can belong to you and it can belong to me if you believe. Now we're gonna to have to deal with this if you believe part. That sounds like work. I thought God does the work. If you believe, sounds like I have to do something. We're gonna to get to the if you believe. Hold that intention. If you believe, Paul says this is for you. So when you're feeling ordinary and you, and, and, and you don't feel like you have anything extraordinary about you, you are extraordinary because you belong to God. Amen? When you feel unworthy of God's love and you feel unworthy of God's grace, you are to lean upon the reality that you are blessed because of God. Amen? Amen. Like you aren't special <laughs> in and of yourself. That's true. And I want you to know that like you have nothing extraordinary about you. I have nothing extraordinary about me. You are totally unworthy of God in every possible way, categorically. So am I. But what makes me and you so special and so worthy and so supremely extraordinary is because of God not us. Remember, you have been chosen and I have been chosen. God did that work. God did that work already. So when you really believe that you have been chosen by God and that you have the opportunity for a new life and a new story under a new set of rules led by a new leader, namely the God of the universe, not yourself, this changes everything about the way you live confidently as a Bible-believing Christ-exalting Christian. This means that you don't have to live and accept your story of brokenness forever. Stop being a victim. Are you, are, you, are you tracking with me this morning? You don't have to keep being broken. In Christ, you are free from being a victim, no matter what has happened in your story. You don't have to live defeated forever by your shame and fear and guilt forever. I don't care what you've done. Stop living in that prison. In Christ, you have been set free. You were chosen by God. You don't have to keep screwing up all the time and committing the same repetitive sins and mistakes over and over again. Stop being an idiot. You have been free from being an idiot in Christ. You don't have to keep lying and posturing yourself all the time for people's approval to be accepted. Stop striving so hard. You're exhausting yourself. You're free in Christ. You don't have to keep allowing your pain and your past wounds from your story to dictate what you do tomorrow. In God, allow yourself to have a new story. Amen? You get to have a new story. I get to have a new story. Listen, you have been set free in Jesus to be so alive and to be so authentically you. Not me, not somebody else. Let me say it again. In Christ, you have been set free to be so alive and so authentically you <laughs> and no one else 
But this version of you being so authentically you happens in Christ. This one, this time, it happens in Christ, and it's far better than you could ever imagine. And it all starts with understanding that you are chosen by God. So who are we? It's for your fill-in. We are a people called to activate and exercise our blessing. Notice I didn't say go get it. It's already there. Just accept it. <laughs> to activate and exercise our blessing as chosen people granted a new life to create a new story under a new set of rules. Led by God, not ourselves, nor our wounds. This is led by a new leader, namely Christ, that changes everything about the way we live confidently as Christians. Now, I've been told <laughs> by the whisperers in church that it's hard to sometimes fill out. Like, man, Pastor, I want to, I want to fill out the full, I want to fill everything out. And, I, and he goes so fast. Listen, we have so much to cover. And here's the good news. This is online. You can go back and you can keep being a student learner even when you're not at church. But we'll never get out of here if I don't keep preaching. So here we go. All right. So this, so this is a great who are we truth? This is incredible. Peter is saying this, and Paul is echoing this throughout Ephesians, right? He's saying this. This is supposed to be an enormous source of encouragement. Our tiny little faith that is constantly under attack in this vast ocean of unbelief and honestly hostility towards the Christian faith, we can have a new story. We can have confidence when we understand that we are chosen. That's what he's talking about. Now, I don't know about you, but I often, I'm, I'm overwhelmed right now with just how big this gift of God, this, this gift from God is. But here's the thing. All we've done is scratch the surface of the first identifiable blessing. Guys, there's six more. There's six more. And that's good news. And so let's hold fast to that first blessing and let's talk about the second one. And then we're going to build a bridge. Blessing number two. We are adopted as sons of God. This is the second half of that verse we just read. We are adopted as sons of God. Now, um, the word of God says sons. Now, whenever you see that, like um, God saved man or mankind or sons, this includes sons and daughters. But listen, I, I, I want to preach the word of God faithfully. My responsibility is to help you see the text. And I understand we are, we're, in a, we're living in a time in a church culture where we have to just make everything so politically correct. You know, um, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. I'm not, no, no, no. The word of God says we are adopted as sons of God. Every, every woman in here, I want you to know that you are equal in worth, dignity, and value. The God of the universe is not belittling you by saying we are adopted as sons. This is the verbiage of how they talk then. It 100% was inclusive of you. And we need to gladly submit to the word of God. The moment that we can and gladly submit to the word of God is the moment that we lose and we rob ourselves of the blessings and the protections of the word of God. Amen. This is the word of God. We don't adjust the word of God. We adjust to the word of God. We don't adjust the word of God. We adjust to the word of God. So who are, we are adopted as sons of God. Now, John chapter one, verses 12 to 13 really explains this. Well, here we go. But to all, not some, to all who did receive him, who believed that, man, we got that word again. This is the foundation. There's this, this, there's a clause here, the belief, right? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Therefore, I'm going to say this real quick. Those who are children of God have to believe. Okay, let's keep going. Who were born, not of blood. 
Hmm, what does that mean? Nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the man, of man, but of God. Listen, this is imperative that you get this. If you believe by faith in Jesus, then you have the right, you have the right, like literally the right has been given to you and the opportunity to accept your adoption by the perfect creator and father of the universe. If you believe that you're chosen, you then get the right to be adopted. If you believe that you're chosen, then you therefore get the right to, to interact with your adoption. Like, I don't care how many times you've heard that. This does not get to become white noise this morning. Nope, not today. I'm going to say it again. If you believe by faith that you have been chosen by God, you get to interact with your adoption by your Abba Father. The creator of the universe, namely God, literally chose to be your father. He literally chose to be my father. Like God literally says, yes, I know you, my son, Brandon. And I knew that you were dishonest and that you lied all the time, sometimes in your teenage years, but I chose you anyway. Yes, Brandon, I knew that you were going to fall into temptation repetitively. And I saw it before you did it, but I chose you anyway. Yes, I know everyone in this room intimately. I know what they do in the dark. I know what they've done. I've known what they struggle with and I've chose them anyway. Listen, what demonstration of love is greater? The love of a person that's lovable all the time and pleasant and they do everything right or loving a person when they're unlovable, untrustworthy. Which one? Listen, what demonstration of love is greater? The love for a child that comes from your own flesh or the love of a child that did not come from your flesh, yet you actively chose to adopt them and love them equally anyway. I always love talking about my sister. She's been very open about that. Listen, I have a wonderful sister who my parents adopted, um, Brianna, my sister. She has been in my life my whole life. They adopted her before I was even born. And I got to watch on major display what it looks like for my parents to bring someone into their home. They didn't have to do that. My mom could have kids, but in love, she adopted my sister. And I get to have this beautiful opportunity to have this relationship with her. And, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. To me, there is a higher level of love when my parents said, we don't have to, but we choose to. You see, me and my wife, we've been exploring and been prayerful about adopting ourselves, right? We always had plans to have a bigger family and then I got injured and life happened. And so we've been being prayerful about that and, and exploring what does it look like for us to adopt ourselves in the midst of all of our trials, in the midst of all of our suffering, in the midst of all of our medical bills, in the midst of everything in American culture that says it's not the right time, it's not financially a stable time, all, these, all, all that stuff, right? What does it look like for us to adopt a child, to raise Aiden and Aubrey so they can see, not hear, see what this looks like? And oh, by the way, there's a whole bunch of kids who need to be loved. I believe that all Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians at least should prayerfully consider adoption. It is the literal image of what God has done 
for you. He didn't have to choose you. He chose to chose you. It was inconvenient for him, but he did it anyway. <laughs> it wasn't ideal, but he did it anyway. I think we all should explore what that looks like. Hey, this is some, this is some give you's like, this is not even, this is just extra stuff for you. Hey, singles in here, you a little lonely? You're struggling? Have you ever considered that God might have called you to adopt? Maybe there's someone with all that love that you have in your heart that you could express that for, that would happily receive your love. You might just get surprised by the God of the universe in the love that you can return, that can be returned to you. And I would invite you to consider adoption. Now, I want you to notice what it says in verse 13. You were not born or adopted by your own efforts or your own abilities, but by God. See, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the man. It's all over the text. The whole Bible is screaming loudly, you can't come to God. God comes to you. Now, this is going to start, this is where people get lost in Christianity. If you keep telling me that I can't do anything, what am I supposed to do? We're going to get there. You got to keep following along. We're building, we're building a bridge. Listen to me. So you can't earn your relationship with God. So stop trying because it's utter insanity. It's already been done. Believe that, believe that, believe that, and proclaim that. Stop working so hard. You're exhausting yourself. Don't be that kind of Christian. Instead, allow your adopted state of God that's been given to you to activate in your heart. Accept the peace of God that's been granted to you. Believe upon what Paul's saying in the word of God. Listen, these Gauls, remember the Gauls? These Gauls, they had lost everything, okay? They lost their families who were slaughtered by the Romans. Their homelands were destroyed. If you weren't here on part one, this is gonna be a little hard to understand. Their culture was stripped from them. Their literal culture was stripped from them. Their dignity, their worth, and their value was stripped away. They were being treated as second-class citizens and as guards that they never worked. That's not their calling. That's not what God raised these little boys in their little villages to be. No, it was stripped from them. Their wives were raped and murdered. Their children were slaughtered. They were indoctrinated to the Roman society. And then they were told, now you're going to be a Roman guard. But these Gauls, somehow living in Caesar's house, the word of God says, became believers. Despite all of that in their life. Like we in American culture, we are so lazy. We whine so much. We are so <coughs> finicky. Let me say this again. These Gauls were ripped from their culture. Their families were destroyed. I don't know. But what would happen right now if your wife and your children were slaughtered? How, how, how great would your faith be? How strong would your faith be? Because I know most of... How much would you still be trusting the God of the universe? Because these Gauls lost everything. What right now, if you lost your 401k, if you lost your job, all the things that you put all your security in and it was stripped away, is God still good to you this morning? Can you say that by faith? If you lost everything you've worked for, and I said, good morning, how are you? Could you say, I'm good? Would you believe it? Because these Gauls were living in Caesar's home, their master, and somehow they became believers because they transferred their hope and their identity from being a Roman citizen or a Gaul into being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You tracking with me? <laughs> 
Paul is urging the Gentiles now, as he's watching these Gauls being saved, I understand you're being treated like second-class citizens. I understand that you're struggling in your life, but I want you to transfer your hope and your faith out of what the Jews are saying onto Christ. And he's inviting us to do the same. Whatever you're insecure about, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you don't believe, transfer your hope and your faith out of your circumstances, out of people, out of churches, and put it on Christ. You have been chosen and you have been adopted. So who are we? We are a people inspired to gladly accept our position as adopted children of God. That is good news by no effort of our own, but rather through the dynamic love. I love that, dynamic. I said there, I was like, no, love's not good enough. What's another word? I need to add dynamic love of our heavenly father. We are called to give up our earthly citizenship of brokenness. Stop being broken for a superior citizenship of wholeness in God. Is that good news? Is that good news? It's good news. I know you guys are writing. <laughs> so I want to share with you seven glorious, majestic reasons we can rejoice in being chosen and adopted as we get ready to start to work towards landing the plane. Seven glorious reasons we can rejoice, get excited, clap, cheer, sing songs about being chosen and adopted. Because I don't know, I don't want us to be a church that just sings and claps and hallelujah for no reason. No, 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 no. When we sing the last song in, in about 15 minutes or so, I want you to sing and I want you to worship and I want you to lift your voice and your adoration for God because you know why you're doing that. So here, here's seven reasons so we can prepare to worship our God the way he deserves to be worshiped. Number one, we can rejoice in being chosen and adopted because God is opinionated and righteously decisive. That sounds weird. <laughs> we can rejoice because God is opinionated and he's righteously decisive. This is so important. This is what separates biblical, true biblical Christianity from every religion. Don't listen to the lies that says that God is some passive God and that his inner workings are not going on. He is working out everything in creation. God is the creator of the universe and he controls all things. Listen, every breath you take, every step you take, every time you breathe, everything in your mind, every baby that's born, every baby that dies, everything worthy of praise, everything worthy of your tears and your sorrow, all of it is under the sovereign will of God. He has authority over all things. Now, that's extremely weighty, what I just said, that he's behind all things, that he's the source of all things. And that's where a lot of people stumble and they cannot follow Christ. Because they say, if that's true and he's the controller of everything, then how can he be a good, decisive God if people suffer and babies die and women are raped and all these different things? And you know what? That's a, that is a great question. And at this church, there's... Every question is a good question that needs to be explored. We will not have a culture here in our family that says, don't ask those kind of questions. Just, just, just blindly serve God. Don't ask the hard questions because I don't have an answer for that. But just, just, just do, do what I say because I'm the pastor. No, 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 no. That's, 
That's a great question. If you stick around long enough as we begin to look at the university of suffering, we can't do that now, we're in Ephesians, then we're going to be able to explore suffering. I'm well acquainted with it in a real deep and biblical way. God is not afraid of that question. And I want you to know that. God is not afraid of any of your questions, and he's not afraid to answer the question of suffering. And we will explore that in a real way. Now, I want you, I want you to know this. It is 100% a good thing that God is opinionated. And it is 100% a good thing that God is decisive. You wanna know why? Because in all of his opinions, in all of his righteous decisions, he chose me and he chose you with all the opinions that he had about what he saw in our life. He knew everything about you. He knew everything that you were going to mess up. He knows what you're going to do next week. He knows what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And all the times you're going to dishonor him and defame his name. And in his opinion, he counted you worthy. And he counted me worthy. And in his perfect righteous decision, he still chose us. It is a good thing. We worship a God of opinions and decisions. Number two, your faith is, um, we can, we can um, rejoice in being chosen and adopted by God because our, um, your faith is not based on God choosing you, but it's the result of it. What? Our faith is not based upon God choosing us. It's the result of it. In John chapter 15, this is on the screen for you, but in John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So even Jesus is saying this. Now get ready for this. This is, go this is gonna be deep waters. If you come, if you're coming, you are, you're here, and desire Jesus, the mystery is that you already belong to the Father. Remember I told you, I, I, I promised I was going to get back to the belief thing. Like, but you, you said it, God does it. And now you're telling me I have to believe. Hold on. Listen, I, I just want to read this. I, I, I want to make sure this is clear. If you come and you're desiring Jesus, the great mystery is that you already belong to the Father. You were not chosen because you came to God. You were not chosen because you came to God. You came to God because you were already chosen. You track him? You, you hear what I'm saying? That's what Jesus meant when he said in, in, in John chapter 6, verse 30, um, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Man, therefore, you're, you weren't adopted because you believed. You believed because you're adopted. How can I know I'm adopted? Because you're here. I know, but sometimes I struggle, but you're here. <laughs> Who gave you the ability to struggle? How many people in your life are not struggling? How many people do you talk about? They're, they're like, I don't, I don't, I'm not struggling. Yeah, God's a joke. I know, but I'm just so tired, Pastor Brent. I'm, so, I'm, I'm just wrestling and wrestling. Why can't I just have faith? You do. I know, but why am I struggling? because life's hard <laughs> i know but i just feel like i should be more mature but see you are because you're in a fight against your flesh and your spirit you're in a fight between the earth and the heavenly places i know but how can i just really know that i'm chosen because you're here and billions are not 
you believe because you're already adopted. You don't have to believe to get yourself adopted. That is good news. So since our faith and our obedience is owing to God's choice of us, we can just know that we're chosen. Only God's resolve to save his chosen people can explain this miracle. And it is a mystery. But I'm inviting you to believe upon that mystery. Number three. Being, um, being chosen, we can rejoice about this. Being chosen means that no charge can stick to you with finality. Oh, thank God. <laughs> being chosen means no charge can stick to you with finality. Listen, the fact that you, um, excuse me, the fact that he chose you before the foundation of the world and that he holds intention that he already knew every single wrong thing that you and I would do speaks loudly that he will bring you into completion. Let me say it again. If God predestined you for adoption and being chosen, and he already knew all of your faults, essentially what scripture is saying is this. God knew your sins before. He chose you anyway, which means this. He's not surprised. God is not surprised where you're struggling. God is not surprised where you're weak. He saw it in advance. He signed up with a glad heart and he's in the process of sanctifying you so no charge none of your weaknesses none of your sins are going to stick with finality you will end in christ perfect holy and blameless not because you can get there but because god promises to take you there amen, amen. <sighs> This is good news. God did that for me and you. This should change the way you worship the God when you're worshiping him. He did that for you and me. People say, Pastor Brandon, how do you, how do you worship when your the physical therapist tells you to not do certain things? And that's one of the bad things about taking Pastor Jack with me to therapy. He hears all the things I'm not supposed to do. So it's a little difficult. And I'm like, but I'm like, first of all, first of all, my body is dying daily anyway. Yours is too. I just feel it more. Secondly, my body is the temple of the Lord. It's been given to me as an instrument of worship. It's this literal purpose. If, I can, if I'm not going to do that, then I should die today. Third, I can't stop worshiping him because he's good. I can't help it. I'm like, don't, don't, do, don't do it. Don't do it. Boom, my hands go up. I love God. I love God. Consider Romans 8, verses 31 through 34. This really kind of just encapsulates number, this number three one. What then shall we say to these things? Mm. If God is for us, oh, and he is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things, all the seven identifiable identifiable blessings of the triune God? Who shall bring any charge against God's chosen people it is god who justifies who makes you holy who makes you blameless who doesn't allow any charge to stick against you who is to condemn you no one can condemn you christ jesus is the one who died and more than even his death who was raised who is raised at the right hand of god who indeed spends all of his time now interceding for me and you. He didn't just choose you. He didn't just adopt you. He then sent his son for you. And, his, and now Jesus is interceding for us. This is good news. Number four, we can rejoice 
in the Lord because being chosen is the antidote to all forms of racism, sexism, and social class division. Oh, this is biblical, and this is good. <laughs> the very fact that God chose to adopt children of every race and every ethnicity as his chosen race shatters every category of racism, sexism, and social class division. Get rid of it. Throw it away. We don't need it in Christ. You tracking? The, the chosen race thing is not about white. It's not about black. It's not about Asian or any other grouping. This chosen, this chosen race thing is about, the, is about a people being born again into a new living hope. First Peter chapter 1, 3 tells us so. There, this is our new identifying DNA rooted not in our ethnicity, but in our holy ethnicity, our DNA in Christ. It's not about race and ethnicity. It doesn't mean there's a value. Are you hearing me? It's not that your ethnicity and your culture don't, doesn't have value, but it's not our, our race. It's not our culture. And it is not our ethnic um, backgrounds that ultimately and finally and decisively unify us. Don't get overly hung up in your cultural traditions. Do not get overly hung up in your customs to the point where you blind yourself to the glorious reality of the family that God has offered you. That's why being a part of a multicultural church, honestly, was a deal breaker for me. I told, when me and Pastor Jack were talking, he, and I, I said, Pastor Jack, if we're gonna do this and I'm gonna lean in with you, I have got to build a multicultural church or I'm out. I, will, I refuse to be in an African-American only church. I refuse to be in just a Anglo-European church only. I refuse to be in an Asian church only. I refuse to be in a Latino, Hispanic church only. I want to be in a multicultural expression of the kingdom of heaven coming down, as scripture says, because you will be robbed of deep spiritual things that God has for you if you do not humble yourself and interact with all people. God loves everyone. And we're going to look at that in the text in Ephesians. Ephesians has a lot to say about racism and about coming back together in Christ. We'll look at that deeper into the series. And it's good news. Um, let's, let's, let's put a bottle cap on that by looking at Re Revelations chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. We have a lot of text today. I want you just to go home and, be, and think this through. And they sang a new song. I love, I love this in Revelations. And they sang a new song. This is, this is the goal, guys. This is the goal. This is beautiful. Saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for, for God. What, what does it say next? From every tribe and language and people and nation. This is so important. This is so important in Oregon and from every tribe, every language, every people and every nation. And you have made them unified, a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That means the end goal, God's big goal is that we would be together, unified and reign on the earth. That's good news. Number five, we can rejoice and be glad in our being chosen and adopted because once we're chosen and adopted and we know that it means this god being chosen means that god shapes history on your behalf god shapes history 
on your behalf. That's crazy. Consider with me Matthew chapter 24, verse 22. If those days had not been cut short, hmm. <laughs> there's a lot in, in, in this text. There's a lot in everywhere. I love the Bible. If those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. Wow. But for the sake of the chosen ones, the adopted ones, those days will be cut short. Uh, let me do my best to try to lean in and explain what's going on here. The flow of history, how God literally writes the story of history, is shaped and constructed for his chosen and adopted children and for his glory. God literally shapes human history for his glory, for his purposes, for you and I. Let me show you. Consider how God shaped history around Paul under light chain house arrest. Think deeply with me. What if, what if God would have allowed Paul not to be under light chain house arrest? And what if God would have dictated that Caesar's heart would have said, Paul, is a, is a, he, he's a flight risk and he's going to be a maximum security prison type of a situation. Do you realize that we would not have the New Testament if God didn't orchestrate history exactly that way? But what about the flip side? What if God would have moved Caesar's heart and Paul never went to light chain any prison at all? You'd be like, oh, that's good news. Well, that is good news. Paul probably would have not, if he wasn't in prison, he would have stayed at Ephesus. He would have kept traveling on missionary journeys. He would have been so busy in ministry that he probably didn't have time to write these, these letters and we wouldn't have the New Testament. Are you tracking with me? God specifically, precisely shapes history for his purposes and for our joy and for his glory. He's exact and he's precise and he's doing it for you and for me. Listen, God strategically placed these galls in direct proximity of Paul so that Paul would, would have an eyewitness to their suffering, which would stir up in his belly a way to write in a way that was inspiring him. Everything mattered. God was in every detail. Now, here's why this is good news. God is in every single detail of your life. You got to get this. God is shaping every detail of your life. Nothing is going to be wasted. Every time, everything you went through, every, every struggle, everything that's right now is weighing you down, everything that you don't understand, God understands. God has a plan and a purpose. Trust Him. Lean into what He's trying to do. He's not going to waste your suffering. He's not going to waste your story. You may never see the purposes that God, on this side of heaven, every reason why God did things in your life. But you got to trust that it's for good, good reasons. Because he said so. Because he said so. Hmm. So when, you, when you're feeling distant from God, and you're, you feel like your faith isn't concrete where it needs to be, don't believe that lie. Like, he's giving you just enough to be here this morning He's giving you enough attention span, just enough to hear what he wants you to hear today. And I believe by faith, he's going to give you just enough to bring this back into memory when we're gone from here so you can take your next step with Christ. I, I, I believe that. Number six, being chosen means he will grant us justice. 
It's really important. We're almost done. Stay, stay with me. Being chosen means he will grant us justice. Now, this is important. God is not just a God of love and grace and mercy. We will not have Disney Channel church only. No, we will not. He is also the God of truth. He is the God of wrath. And he is absolutely the God of justice. And guess what? He is perfect at holding both of those. Mercy, grace, love, wrath, justice. He can do that perfectly. So listen to me. And I, this is important because there's people that are hurting in here. I need your eyes. Those of, those of you who are hurting because someone has wronged you, God will take care of it. Do you hear what I said? God is going to take care of it. <laughs> no one is off the hook. No one gets off the hook. No one. So love God, worship God, trust God that he's working and interceding on your behalf. That's what it means to be marked by generosity. That's what it means to be marked as a Bible and Christian. You know, one of the, one of the ways that you can know that you are trusting God you know, I always hear sometimes like, man, if somebody ever did this to my son, to my wife, do this, I, I'll shoot him in the head. I'll do this. Hey, hey, God will fight for you. Don't lose yourself in your anger. Don't lose yourself in your wrath. No one's off the hook. Don't do that. You are de you're, you're dishonoring God when you take justice into your own hands. He's better at it than you. <laughs> He's better at it than me. No one goes unpunished. But God will do it perfectly. And remember, we are called to be a people marked by grace. Jesus died for them just like he died for you. So I need you to hear me. I need us to be marked by love. Even when it's difficult. And I'm saying this in love. You need to get off your high horse. Because God is giving you mercy and grace. Make sure you are able to extend the same. Now, let me say a quick word to anyone who's willfully doing wrong against someone or themselves right now. Because we can't, I, we can't go any further in Ephesians. I can't be faithful if I don't deal with this. So, so if, if you're willfully doing something wrong to someone right now, I don't care if they're in this church, in your life, in your home, in the dark, I don't know what. If you are willfully doing something wrong to someone else or yourself i'm not talking about mistakes and you're you're struggling with your sin and you're trying to work it out with the lord and you have a repentant heart but it's i'm not talking about that i'm talking specifically willfully harming yourself or other people as a lead pastor of this church i have two responsibilities and they are mine and this is what it, this is part of my call to protect our people and to provide hope and truth to anyone who has ears to hear Therefore, pay attention. Look, if that's you, you are paying, playing a dangerous game with the God of the universe. You are playing a dangerous, dangerous game with the God of the universe, and you're going to lose. You're going to lose big time. Do not take God's grace and mercy for granted. All things come to the light. This, you may be thinking right now, what is wrong with him? He's so serious. Uh, excuse me. I have been a part 
of sending out this type of exhortation and people have been saved. So if this is a, if you feel this doesn't apply to you, excuse me, just tune me out for a second because someone in here may need to hear this this morning. I'm inviting you to come to the light. You need to repent. You need to confess and you need to stop wasting God's grace and mercy because it's going to come to the light and no one's off the hook. And after you confess and you repent, I'm going to strongly encourage you. And I invite you to come talk to me or Pastor Jack so we can help you get well. I promise you this. I won't throw you out. I promise you we'll deal with it rightly. But you got to come in the light. Number seven. Being chosen means that God will use all necessary means to bring you to eternal glory. It's the final one. We can rejoice because the fact that when we're chosen and adopted, it means that God will use all necessary means to bring you to eternal glory. Now, one of the most beautiful realities of being chosen is that we get to go home one day with our father. We don't have to deal with all this. <laughs> we get to live in perfect harmony with God and each other. But here's what makes the Christian life so difficult. We want that peace and we want that home right now. <laughs> and we want that peace in our marriages. We want it perfectly right now, right? We want that peace in all of our relationships. We want it right now. We want that peace in our, with our children and everything. We want it all right now. But this eternal glory that's promised is on its way. But it's not all the way here yet. And that's, and that's the hard part. But you have to stop expecting that. You hear what I'm saying? That's what we get in the end. And if you keep expecting life to be perfect pre-full glory with God, you're going to be disappointed. God has not promised you that. He didn't promise you that you're not going to struggle in your marriage. It's the wrong expectation. He didn't promise you that you're not going to struggle with your kids. It's the wrong expectation. He didn't promise you that you're not going to struggle in your career. He didn't promise that you're not going to struggle with sin. The promise is that he's going to finish and he's going to complete you. We are living in the tension of being incomplete. You got to know that. But God is going to take you to the end if you trust him and believe. So who are we? We are a people. This is our last one, our last fill-in. Chosen and adopted by God to submit to his righteousness, excuse me, to his righteousness decisions as he grants us faith to believe in Jesus so that we might experience reconciliation with all people as God lovingly and carefully shapes history on our behalf. We are called to extend grace as God provides justice, trusting that he wisely uses all necessary means to bring his adopted children to eternal glory. This is really good news. And somehow we've only talked about two of these identifiable blessings. There's more in store. And that's what's amazing. Look at the depths of our God. He is so good. Today, hopefully you've been able to see how God specifically has blessed you. And that's separate from what Jesus has done for you. And that is separate from what the Holy Spirit has done for you. This is what God has done for you. He's done a lot more. But this is what he's done for you in, 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 in big, massive ways. He chose you when he didn't have to. He adopted you when it was inconvenient. And the collision 
of that chosen and adopted state allows us to be prepared for this third identifiable blessing coming up next week. And then we get to learn what has Jesus done for us specifically so we can worship him uniquely. Now, here's my concern for you as pastor. My concern is that some of this spiritual gold is going to fall out of the proverbial holes of your pockets. <laughs> we said a lot. And that you're going to walk away not as rich as God desires you to be this morning. I want you to be rich. I don't want money falling out your pockets. <laughs> right? Um, that's why I labored in love, sending that email to you guys yesterday, exhorting you and inviting you to spend some time to prepare yourself to come here this morning. And that's why I'm encouraging and exhorting you again right now to take notes in church, to go home and reflect upon it individually with you and God alone. And then if you're married, to do that in the context of your marriage. And then to do that with your children. And that's why I'm exhorting you, like I did in the email, to have a spiritual leader and a, someone to guide you. Hey, if you're watching right now on the video, hello, you need to do that. <laughs> it's important. We all need someone who's ahead of us to help us along the way beyond what your pastor on the stage is doing. You need people in your life, community. This is for everybody, men and women. But again, I got, I, men, I got to pick on you. Who, who's speaking into your life, man? Or are you just always, just always the guy making all the calls? You're playing a dangerous game and all you're doing is making yourself isolated and lonely. Stop doing that. Who are you allowing your life to, to guide you? Because you're guiding your wife, you're guiding your children, and you're communicating with your actions that you can't be guided. It's not a good look. Allow yourself to be guided. Open your life, open your heart. It's hard, it's hard for me, but I wanna invite you to do that. We are all winners in Christ. Let's pray. <sighs> Man. Heavenly Father, we are starting to make some headway into this beautiful series of Ephesians. And Lord, this whole book, Lord, is about knowing who we are in you and what we can do in light of that information. Lord, we have talked for just over an hour about glorious things in your word, but somehow, Lord, there's just so much more to talk about. My hope and my prayer above all things is that every word, Lord, that was spoken that honors you, Lord, in my best effort would land in a great place in every son and daughter's heart this morning. I pray that we would walk out changed men and changed women, not because a fancy sermon was preached, not because we were entertained, but because you, Lord, are working on our behalf. Help us to trust you and trust our chosen and adopted state because we're here. So as we get ready to worship and sing.